Well, it looks like you all hated me so much that you've given me this award for it. That it can be about the performance and not the politics. This moment is so much bigger than me. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. And thank all of you who voted for me and all of you who didn't, please excuse me. I deserve this. Thank you. And welcome back to this week's episode of Academy Queens. I will totally swallow a bunch of heroin. I'll really do anything to make a buck. Joey Chantilly. And I'm a blonde with a big mouth and epic tits. Brandon Stanwyck. And this is this week's episode of Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards uh, per category per decade. And this is the class of 2004. Brandon. Brandon. Yes? Can you believe that after every episode we've had so far, and we have more ahead of us, but this is finally our first one-on-one episode since 1998. Oh, wow. It's been a minute. It has been a minute. Now, granted, if you're with us on Patreon, we've done episodes together, but this is the first episode this season and the first time we've recorded this season. Now, mind you, we've recorded almost every episode this season except for three, and those are the three episodes that were by ourselves. Right. We did the guests first. Yeah. We got all of our guests out of the way. We're, we've already premiered uh, season four, and here we are finally just you and I, like old times. Welcome back, buddy. Yes. It's been six years. <laughs> it's been six whole years. Um, what's new? Tell me all about it. So I learned uh, recently from my eye doctor that I have a slightly larger than average optic nerve behind my eye. So it's cool to learn that something about me is slightly larger than average. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. And uh, I'm told it's nothing to worry about uh, considering my age. Uh, it's possible that because I'm so young that I was just born with a larger than average optic nerve. I guess it's something that if it's noticed as you get older, it can be a sign of something happening. Mm-hmm. But because I'm still relatively young in my 20s, my doctor said it's probably nothing. They'll just have to keep an eye on it, make sure it doesn't get bigger over time. But uh, I'm probably fine. But uh, I got cool glasses now, and I really like them. Yes, you're a, prom, you're, you're a young lady in your prom, Miss Scarlett. Mm-hmm. I do like your new glasses. Yeah. I have seen them. You have a really cute photo now on Twitter, so everyone was loving that. Yes, I changed it to a, a selfie I took with my new glasses. I think they complement my face shape and complexion pretty well. And I like how your manses makes a cameo in the background. Yeah, he's just looming back there. <laughs> well, it's Seth. Seth looms in the most yeah. lovable way. Yeah. Uh, how's uh, Javago? I'm noticing a lot more photos with him lately than normal, and I'm into it. Oh, he's good. Uh, he he's just downstairs like such, such a snuggler. Yeah, that's what he does. <laughs> Dude, so, uh, yeah, uh, where am I going with this? Oh, I think I just had a stroke. Oh, there it is. Um, so I'm doing a week worth of shows in New York next month, right? Mm-hmm. And finally got my place booked, and which is really nice, because, like, when you do shows like this, like, you know, they do pay you and all this shit, yada, yada, yada. But, like, if I don't want to be up in a stuffy hotel, I get my own place, and that's, you know, it's New York. I want an Airbnb and, you know, live the New York lifestyle while I'm there. 
um, so bummed. We I found this really, really cute place in the Lower East Side. It was bordering the East Village and booked it. And then last night, the host canceled. That sucks. <sighs> it was such a cute place, too. But she was really, really nice about it. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, I guess, the same building that Gaga lived in when she was 19. So I was hmm. like, ooh, give me some of that. Give me some of those Gaga vibes. And now, unfortunately, I will not be there. This uh, episode will drop before your shows. Did you want to uh, plug them for anyone in the New York area who might be listening and want to attend? Oh, sure. Why not? Let me, uh, let me, let me get to my schedule here. All right, New York. So I am in you from April 21st, and I leave the 26th. I am performing at UGG in uh, Drexler's in the East Village on the 21st, at the Comic Strip on the Upper East Side on the 22nd, at Dangerfields on the Upper East Side on the 23rd, at Broadway Comedy Club in the Theater District on the 25th, and last year I performed at Gotham Comedy Club, and they invited me back in Chelsea. That date is to be determined, but my guess is that it's going to be that Wednesday, um on the 22nd 22nd yeah um that i'll be performing there because that's when i did that show last year so if you're in new york and you want to come see me i know i actually have some um some listeners who did text me and they're like we will be there so hopefully if anyone else wants to show up come and play i'm a good time and uh, we'll get a drink afterwards yeah that sounds fun yeah it'll be a good time it'll be a good time i'm kind of bummed that Baltimore is not close to New York. It would have been nice to see you guys. Oh, right. Yeah, it's like a three, three and a half hour ride to get up there. Yeah, that's a, that's a bit much. But if I ever do do some DC shows or Baltimore shows, you know, I'll let you know right away. Yeah. But um, 2004 was an interesting year all around. It was kind of the Clint Eastwood comeback kid in a way. Um, which I'm sure you'll have some thoughts, and I do as well. But a fun fact about 2004, um, there wasn't really, like, a whole bunch of fun things about this ceremony, but I think it's interesting that Kate Blanchett, in the role of Catherine Hepburn, is the first actor to win an Oscar for, for portraying an Oscar winner. Oh, neat. Yeah, so it's a nice little food for thought. But if there isn't anything else we have to plug, I am ready when you are. Oh, I'm ready. Uh, so, your Best Supporting Actress nominees from 2004 were... Kate Blanchett in The Aviator. Laura Linney in Kinsey. Virginia Madsen in Sideways. Sophie Okonedo in Hotel Rwanda. Natalie Portman in Closer. All right, let's start off with our winner, who we just mentioned here. That's Kate Blanchett winning for The Aviator. This is her second of six nominations, having previously been up for Elizabeth a few years prior. Going into this, she was a bit of a frontrunner because she wins with BAFTA and SAG, and she also picks up a couple critics' prizes with Kansas City and Las Vegas Film Critics. And she is also recognized with the Golden Globes, the Empire Awards, the Los Angeles Film Critics, the Boston Film Critics, and the National Society of Film Critics. In The Aviator, Kate Blanchett plays Katherine Hepburn, 
the Hollywood star and lover and confidant of the eccentric Howard Hughes. So how do you feel about Kate Blanchett in The Aviator? I'm going to try to do this in my Kate Bl- or in my Catherine Hepburn <laughs> um, impression, but I don't know if A, it's going to be good or how long I'm going to do it. Are you ready? Okay. Kate Blanchett as Catherine Hepburn is... No, I can't do it. It's too early. Um, <laughs> you know what? The Aviator is not a great movie. I don't love it. I think it's very full of itself. I think this is when Scorsese... Like, right after he did Gangs of New York, he did The Aviator. And I think it's just, like, a weird period of Scorsese right before he hit The Departed. Um, so the film itself, I I avoided for years because I'm just like, God, like, I don't want to spend three hours with Leo DiCaprio. Um, now, Kate uh, Blanchett as Catherine is... She's she's good. I mean, uh, Howard, pop the car. I can't fucking do it today. But yeah, so like when she like says like certain like one-liners like Howard parked the car or you're not a Republican, are you? You know, she does her one-liney, snappy Catherine Hepburn impression really, really well. But I, I, something feels missing from this. And I don't know if it's because Catherine Hepburn was such a, was a person with so much soul in her real life. Like you watch her interviews and you feel like she's in front of you um, or next to you. And I don't, and I think that's kind of hard to, um, emulate and Kate Blanchett while is good I don't think she really gets a hold of Catherine the way you need to um, so while it's fine I don't I, I wouldn't say this is like prime Kate Blanchett what about you? So I really like her in The Aviator. Um, I like that she doesn't try to become a carbon copy of Katherine Hepburn. I think that's where a lot of biopic performances fail for me, when they're trying to do more of an impression and try to convince you that they literally are that person, as opposed to sort of taking different essences of the person and making it their own. Because even in appearances, Kate Blanchett doesn't really look all that much like Katherine Hepburn. She very much looks like a Katherine Hepburn-esque version of Kate Blanchett, and I really like that. Um, she, you know, she has her mannerisms and her cadence pretty down, um, down enough to where you buy that it's Katherine Hepburn, where if you were to see or hear her, you would get that vibe without her trying to be literally the person she's playing. Um, I just also do really like The Aviator. Um, I think it is a solid film. It is quite long, um, and it is... Uh, it is a very big film, so mm-hmm. you definitely have to go into it knowing that you are about to experience, you know, something on an epic scale, something like maybe a David Lean might have made at some point in his career, but the, <laughs> but the Martin Scorsese version of that. Um, mm-hmm. Kate Blanchett, I think she has some really fun moments. Uh, she seems to be having a lot of fun with this character um, when she's out and about with Howard Hughes when they're uh, whining and dining or out on the golf course. Uh, I also really enjoy the scenes with her family where she and Howard are back in, I believe it's Connecticut uh, where she's Mm. from. And they're sitting down with her family who are perhaps the most pretentious people I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Frances Conroy is just grade A perfection as her mother. She's amazing. And um, I kind of feel for Howard in those moments where they're almost putting on display how smart, how intelligent and refined they are, almost to put him down in a weird way. But at the same time, maybe 
that's just how they are. They're just that kind of people. And you can kind of see in Kate Blanchett's performance as Kate Hepburn that she kind she fits the mold of that family. She's very much in that very um, well-to-do, uh, knowledgeable crowd. But she also feels maybe a little bit embarrassed. Maybe she's seeing for the first time how um, how bully-like her family can be and how the upper class can look down upon the lower class and ironically also be socialists you know i don't know if that's the proper label but they are they're left wing and howard you know calls them out for being you know quite wealthy and how it's a little hypocritical of them and uh i think that's just a really great scene it's one of my favorites in the entire film so um i think kate blanchett's doing a wonderful job here um i don't knock the win um, but um, I see what you're saying. I think there is there's more that could have been explored with this character. But um, if you were to do that, it might bump her into lead territory. So it would kind of change the balance of this film. But I, I really do dig her in The Aviator. You know what drives me insane about this film, too, is that blue palette for, like, the grass and everything. Like, mm. I felt like I was having a stroke every time, like, something that was supposed to be green was, like, this, like eggshell bright blue and I, I don't know why marty chose that but i'm just like ah. so i don't know there's something about the aviator i just can't get into but we do have a question from the aviator it doesn't really represent kate but it's still about the film from Catherine short why was the other supporting women, woman in the aviator kate beckinsale as ava gardner overlooked in 04 i i would say her Performance isn't quite as, I mean, dare I say showy, as Kate Blanchett's. Um, it's a little bit more cut and dry and reserved. I mean, she's quite good. I'm not saying she's bad by any means. But um, when you look back on the supporting performances uh, that um, are, I guess, more memorable, Kate uh, Blanchett stands out because it feels a little more, um, I don't know, it's a little more showy, I guess. I can't think of another word at the moment. I think you nailed it on the head with saying the word memorable. When people think of The Aviator, they don't think of Kate Beckinsale. There are Oscar nominations over the years that people clearly have forgotten. I mean, we're in the middle right now of doing um, 31 Days of Oscar. But um, for this being recent, uh, recent in what I mean in like the past 20 years, um, even now you could be like, hey, you remember this person in, the, in this movie? And they're going to be like, Kate Beckinsale was in The Aviator? What? I just don't think it definitely holds the place like the other one. So... Yeah, whatever. Yeah, that sounds about right. She's not bad. It's just not the one you think of. From Fritz, our good friend Fritz, the Oscars. What are other actresses from today you could see playing classic movie stars such as Kate playing Kate? So I guess that I guess I'll I'll I'll, I'll twist this a little bit and say who else could you have seen play Kate Hepburn because that was specifically about Kate. Hmm. Karen Black. Yeah, of course, Karen Black. <laughs> and Madeline Kahn. And Madeline Kahn. <laughs> there you go. You know, I know this is kind of becoming a go-to answer for me, but there's something about um, Christine Baranski that I could see really doing an interesting Catherine Hepburn. Ooh. Yes. Now, however, if we are referring to Kate or Catherine Hepburn in 04, mm. I honestly would have been intrigued to see what Virginia Madsen could have done here. Okay. I could see it. Yeah. Let me actually look something up really quick because 
um, Kate Mulgrew, who we briefly talked about in Throw Mama from the Train. Oh, yes. She did a one-woman show, um, I believe on Broadway, that Faye Dunaway recently um, revived uh, very shortly before she was fired. (laughs) Um, But Kate Mulgrew actually, I believe, originated that one-woman show in New York. I want to say that was in the late 90s, maybe early 2000s. I don't recall. But... um, she did that to great acclaim, as I've read. So this was this would have been in that era. Perhaps she might have been a smidge older than um, Kate Blanchett, but perhaps that wouldn't have mattered. But uh, Kate Mulgrew is another person from the relative era who could have done it. Yeah. Our next supporting lady is Laura Lenny, nominated for Kinsey. This is her second of three nominations previously having been up for You Can Count On Me a few years ago. Going into this, she does get one pretty big win, and that is with the National Board of Review, but that is basically her only win going into this. But she is recognized with the Golden Globes, SAG, the London Film Critics, the Dallas Film Critics, and the National Society of Film Critics. In Kinsey, Laura Lenny plays Clara, the wife of Alfred Kinsey, who for years must sort of live on the periphery of her husband's very taboo work in academic sex research. So how do you feel about Laura Lenny and Kinsey? I really like Lenny and Kinsey a lot. Um, you know, this could have been that trope of the, the titular role, the male roles, uh, his wife, you know what I mean? Like it could have been just another wife character and she brings so much depth into the emotion of the spousal role here. And and like you, she, she wears her emotions on her sleeve, but she's really tough at the same time. Like she's just not this big emotional wreck who's like, oh, woe is me. Um, I'm so lonely. Like, no, like she gets pissed. She flips the script. She ends up having an affair that, and then like in a way gives uh, Kinsey his just desserts because he goes through an emotional gauntlet there. I mean, Linny does really spectacular work with the size of this role. Um, I, I think this is the prime example of the Penelope Milford effect that we always talk about. You know, it is the supporting role doing what she needs to do to carry her part of the story along, does it really, really well, and doesn't take away from the main story. Um, bravo. I think this is really damn good. Yeah, I really, really like Laura Lenny and Kenzie. Um, it's a performance that doesn't really call attention to itself very much, and those tend to be my favorite supporting turns. Mm-hmm. Um, she feels very lived in, uh, very believable. Um, when you watch this, it definitely feels like she is this person, and she's not trying to prove it to you. She simply is this person. But she's also having a lot of fun here. Um I really like that scene where uh, the Peter Sarsgaard character um, mentions sleeping with her for research with her husband in the room. And at this point, it's revealed that her husband has been sleeping with others over the course of this research. And she doesn't feel too great about that. And as soon as the prospect is brought up that maybe she ought to sleep with someone, namely her husband's assistant slash partner, she has sort of a playful uh, bit there where she's like, hmm. I think I would like that, actually. And she kind of looks at her husband, who is just appalled, and uh, his hypocrisy is completely on display because he feels like uh, it's not her place, even though he has been doing exactly the same thing. And uh, you also really feel for her at times where her husband's work is really drawing attention to 
them and their household in not always the most positive light. And you can tell how she would really like it to stop at some point. And yet she might not feel like it's her place. And maybe in some way she feels as though the work is important and ought to happen. So she feels very conflicted. And um, I think all of those emotions really shine in Laura Lenny's performance. Um, Laura Lenny is a tremendous actor. She is able to balance so many layers at the same time. Really loved her, and you can count on me. And of course, we'll get to the savages here in a few years. But she's just, she's a very special performer who's able to do so many things at the same time with, without drawing attention to herself. And I think that is a great attribute of Laura Lenny. Yeah, she does really good work here. I, like I said, I love this one a lot. We do have some questions about this one. Um, first one coming up is from Kristoff. Should Lynn Redgrave have pulled a Beatrice straight and gotten in for her one scene in Kinsey? Asking this because she is the only thing from the film I remember that isn't Peter Sarsgaard's penis. Also, feel free to talk a bit about Peter Sarsgaard's scene. We all know you want to, and we want to hear it. Um, when it comes to the supporting ladies, um, I love Lynn Redgrave, of course. Uh, it was a delight. Uh, realizing or remembering that she was in this i had forgotten about it and so when she came up on screen it kind of hit me i was like oh that's that's fun um but if i had to pick between the two i would definitely go with laura lenny um there's just more there as much as i really like uh lynn redgrave um i mean yeah uh when it comes to peter sarsgaard uh this is a movie that i hadn't seen in years i think it maybe been in high school when i had seen it for the first time and the last time prior and yeah that scene um was very uh, formative for me, I guess you could say. Um, I wasn't expecting it at the time. And, you know, it's always fun when you're a little closeted teenager in rural Ohio and you get a penis in the movie that you're watching. Um, I also think Peter Sarsgaard's just really cute. And um, I think he deserves more respect than he gets. He's one of those uh, indie film character actors who doesn't seem to get the notoriety or the um, the acclaim that I think he deserves. Um, so, yeah, there's a... There's Peter Sarsgaard's penis for you. First off, I even getting this question, I just revisited Kinsey a couple of weeks ago for this. I don't even remember who Lynn Redgrave was in this movie. So, uh, no, I wouldn't have nominated her just because I still don't know who the fuck she is in this movie. So that just shows you there that she did not make an impression on me. Also, too, Peter Sarsgaard, he's great. Uh, I think he's a great actor. Um, and I think him and Maggie Gyllenhaal make a cute couple. And, you know, I always welcome a nice penis on screen. But, you know, I've seen many in my lifetime. And a penis is a penis. So, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, there you go, Christoph. Uh, there's our penis talk for the day. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll just transition then into Virginia Madsen, nominated for Sideways. This is her first and only nomination. And she was pretty much the critic's darling of the year as she picks up wins with the Chicago, Dallas, Los Angeles, and New York film critics, as well as with the National Society of Film Critics, and she takes the Indie Spirit Award. She is also recognized at the Golden Globes and with SAG, but does not win either of those. In Sideways, Virginia Madsen plays Maya, a waitress in California's wine country, who strikes up a brief relationship with Paul Giamatti's Miles through their shared interest in wine and being recently divorced. So how do you feel about Virginia Madsen in Sideways? Oh, I love her in Sideways. First of all, this is the fan favorite over the years. This seems to be the one that everyone uh, 
goes for, and I'm not gonna lie, I'm predicting this one as your winner. I just this is you all around. Madsen is wonderful. Madsen is human. Madsen is breathtaking. You know, everyone points out to her scene of how the bottle of wine ages, and there's such a precise perfection of every syllable she hits in this in this monologue. And uh, she's amazing. But what sticks out to me with Manson is actually her fight scene with Giamatti. I think, I think there is so such like a, a humanistic rage that she's pulling here that almost feels like she is one of those actors who's really pulling from a past traumatic experience to deliver every line and emotion here. And I think she's wonderful. You know, Madsen, of course, was uh, had a brief stint with fame in the early 90s due to Candyman. And she's been pretty open with this, that she hit bankruptcy before Sideways came along and Sideways kind of revived her career. But it was it's really sad, though, because while Madsen does pop up in things here and there now, she really was never able to capitalize on her Sideways success. Um, you know, she deserves more and she deserves better. But she's just not given the material... And it's quite a shame because she's so talented. Uh, but Madsen is a delight, and I would love for her to return to the Oscar stage as a nominee and potential winner. Yeah, I would love her to return as well. Uh, my introduction to her was Candyman. Having uh, you know grown up in a family that was very into horror movies, I you know saw her in that film at a very early age. And um, I think she is a tremendous performer. Um, she was recently um, seen by uh, many in her smell the elizabeth moss vehicle from last year uh, she plays elizabeth moss's mother in it and she only has a couple of scenes but she's pretty good in it i would recommend checking it out um i think she's also great in sideways um this is another supporting turn that doesn't really draw too much attention to itself in the way that a lot of other juicy powerhouse supporting roles can um Besides her big, you know, fight with Paul Giamatti, it's a pretty reserved, uh, bottled up performance. Um, but it has some very unique notes to it that she and um, Alexander Payne show you here and there throughout the film. She is a very, I'm, I know I don't really care for this word, but it's the one that's in my head right now. She's a very likable character. It's very easy to want to hang out with this person, uh, to drink with this person, and want to just talk about wine or anything with this person. Uh, she feels true to life. And that scene where she's talking about wine and what makes it so special to her and what drew her to wine is so magical. Um, I could listen to her recite that monologue all day about wine and how it's a living thing that evolves over time and how it really relates to the two characters in that scene who are really going through something, particularly the Paul Giamatti part. Her troubles are sort of behind her, but, you know, they rise to the surface every once in a while as, you know, troubles and trauma will. But she's able to mirror with her words what is going on on the back burner of these two characters' lives so effortlessly without beating you over the head with it. Like, it's a metaphorical monologue in many ways, but it's not obvious on first listen, I don't think, because Virginia is not trying to, like, like, beat it over your head with it, and she's not trying to emphasize certain words 
where it feels like she's saying, do you get it? You understand what I'm saying? I think she's a very confident performer and she trusts the words and she trusts the audience and she trusts Miles that he will understand what she is saying. And I really admire that confidence in a performance. Um, she also, you know, is confident enough where she feels like she doesn't have to be super big in this performance. Maya very seldom uh, steals the spotlight or upstages her co-stars. And like I said with Laura Linney, that's something I really admire in a supporting turn. So um, I really dig uh, Virginia Madsen's Sideways. Sideways is also just a movie that I just really like. I've seen it a few times over the years, and I feel like it grows on me with every watch. Maybe it's a little bit like a fine bottle of wine in that way. I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think she's really good in Sideways. Three things. Number one, there's something about her, uh, her monologue, too, about the wine that has like this ASMR quality to it. Like it's just so relaxing. Mm -hmm. Kudos to her on that. Number two, Sideways is the most dated film, I think of this decade, just because like the film quality just is, feels so late nineties. Like it looks, even the high def version movies of this, like the Blu-ray version, like looks so dated. And like the flip phones obviously don't help. And the soundtrack is very dated. So it, it feels like this time capsule almost of a film. And number three, how would you have felt about a Sandra O oh nomination? Because I honestly think she did really well and could have pulled a nomination here. I would be perfectly okay with it. I would love a Virginia Madsen, Sandra O oh double nomination in this category. I think that would be wonderful. Because she also gives a really great performance, but in a completely different way. She does upstage a little bit. And she's given those moments. Like, I mean, the the image that pops into my head when I think of Sideways is, is Sandra Oh beating Thomas Hayden Church with a with the motorcycle helmet. helmet. <laughs> like, I hope you die as she's, like, beating him. I mean, that's, like, such a great scene. I think it's in the trailer, too. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, I would definitely dig a Sandra O oh, uh, nomination here. I think she's fantastic. As far as the um, dated aspects of it go, as you were saying it, I, the idea popped into my head. It sounds like the movie is of its vintage, like it is bottled in the year two thousand four. Uh, okay. I don't, I don't know if that was Alexander Payne's intention, but hearing your, you know, criticism of two thousand twenty about this two thousand four film. It makes me think that, oh, if we were to pop open the bottle of wine that is sideways, we would get all these essences of 2004. So that's an interesting way of looking at it, I guess. Um, fun fact, I screen tested for Alexander Payne. Oh, yeah? For, for Nebraska? Ne for Nebraska. And I'll tell you, um, when we get to tw uh, 20, what is it, 2013, I will tell you all about it. Okay, a little teaser. little teaser for next season. Really nice guy. But yeah, okay. you guys... If you guys are listening to this now and you think you know which role, add us and I'll tell you if you're right or wrong. Was it Bruce Dern's role? Yes, nailed it. Uh, the fucker took it. my Oscar name nomination. You would have been so typecast in that role. Oh, you know, it, I was working on that limp and that walk for days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so really nice guy. Okay, well, our next uh, supporting lady is... Sophie Okonedo, nominated for Hotel Rwanda. This is so far her first and only nomination, and her only win is with the Black Reel Awards. And she is recognized with SAG, the London Film Critics, and the Image Awards in Hotel Rwanda. She plays Tatiana, the wife of Don Cheadle's Paul, 
who um, she is supporting and assisting as he um, attempts to save over a thousand innocent Tutsi lives in Rwanda. So how do you feel about Sophie in Hotel Rwanda? She's so good here. Um, I don't understand why people, and I think it's honestly because of her competition and how much people love Madsen and Portman and even Blanchett in this lineup. I think Linny and Okanedo are kind of like the underdogs here with Sophie being the lowest of the underdogs. But like people shit on this nomination and I don't understand why. I had, you know, like every person who grew up in the mid 2000s, we all had to watch Hotel Rwanda in history class in high school. And that's the first time I saw it. And I, so I hadn't seen it in quite some time until I went to revisit it for this. And I was like, I kind of had this thing in my head, like maybe she was just this filler nomination. And I'm like, holy shit, she is so goddamn good. She actually has a really good amount to do in, um, in this film. And she is the emotional wreck and support and fighter that this character and this family needs. I, I definitely think that she deserves more than just what she got when it came to the precursors. I'm surprised the Globes didn't give her one, to be honest. But this just feels like it would have fit right in with the Golden Globes in the best of ways. Not like that, like, Pia Zadora fit with the Golden Globe, like, shady shit. Um, but, yeah, I think she's really good here. She definitely strings you along. I mean, you're horrified at what's going on. But I feel like the emotion that the audience is having really comes through with her. And that's a really goddamn good performance in my eyes. Um, I also, she's also one who, unfortunately, it seems that suffered from not really being able to capitalize on this Oscar. And, um, you know, that's not always the actor's fault. A lot of it is Hollywood and the work that comes through. But, you know, I, I like seeing Okanedo pop up in places. I know she was just up for a Tony a couple of years ago with like Lupita Nyong'o, Michelle Williams. And that was the year Jessica Lange won for A Long Day's Journey and Tonight. Um, so good for her. But I would like to see Okanedo also return at some point. I think it'd be a nice welcome back. I had a very similar experience revisiting this film, which I, as you mentioned, had not seen since my high school geopolitics class. And um, I think over the years, I had a very similar feeling where it was like, oh, she was, you know, maybe a coattails nomination. She's not really featured in any meaningful way. It's She was just in a very powerful film and she was along for the ride. And that's a very um, disrespectful thing to say, um, I'm realizing, or a disrespectful thing to think. Um, after revisiting this film, because she is given some really wonderful moments. And she gives a very resonant, she has a very resonant presence in this movie. And she really um, shows you a very wide range of um, emotion and delivery here. Um, this is a very heavy film, um, very heavy subject matter, very serious. But she is also given some comedic moments. Um, like, if you'll recall when uh, Don Cheadle comes into the hotel room looking for her and the children, and they're all hiding in the shower, and he pulls back the curtain, and she has, like, the shower head held out like a gun. Like, she's going to shoot whoever is coming for them with water, and she screams for her life, and everyone's screaming, and then she realizes it's him, and everyone calms down, and he realizes what she's holding, and she's like, and he was like, what were you going to do with this? And she just starts uncontrollably laughing while bawling because she doesn't even know. It was just the only thing that she had to even 
possibly protect her and all these children. And she realizes in the moment how silly it was, but she was panicked, so it made sense. And it's a very nice moment of levity in this very dark film. And this is another character, it's very easy to root behind her. Um, she's trying to save all these children and she plays the sort of mother role to all these innocent lives who are are guilty of nothing and they're going to be murdered because of this um, label that has been put upon them by white colonists years ago and it's all so it's all so appalling and this character that she plays Tatiana is just she's heroic and she's trying her best to navigate these very rocky waters and um, even though it looks like she's not going to succeed due to being, it being her against the world, you can't help but be on her side. And I think Sophie, um, Sophie does a really wonderful job here uh, crafting this character. And she makes the character feel important in this film. Mm-hmm. She's not just the wife. Yeah. I, there's not one thing I disagree with you on that. Well, our fifth and final nominee is Natalie Portman, nominated for Closer. This is her first of three nominations going into this. You could say she might have been a conceivable frontrunner as she takes the Golden Globe. And she is nominated with BAFTA, the London Film Critics, and the Dallas Film Critics. In Closer, Natalie Portman plays Alice, a New York runaway in London who couples with a sort of mediocre writer. Uh, played by Jude Law, who writes a book about her past in the sort of seedy sex club world of New York. Um, So how do you feel about Natalie Portman and Closer? This is like prime Nichols. And Nichols was very much an actor's director. Um, With that said, Portman is delightful. there, it, when 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 you first introduced her character, she starts off a little rocky. It's a little shaky for me. I'm not gonna lie. Um, and I revisited this act, uh, like right before Christmas when we were actually on break, catching up on everything. And I really had a new appreciation for this, being older, watching it now, because a lot of this shit that is portrayed in here actually does happen, and I've known this to happen to people and you know this is part of adult life like I don't think you can watch this movie in your teenage years and like know really what's going on um Clive Owen and Natalie Portman in the private dance scene I'm going to describe this the exact way that I felt while watching this for those of you who don't know what edging is and I need to use this for this example for this reason. Edging between two men is pretty much working yourself up to almost orgasm without actually busting a nut. And it can be very erotic and it can be very, very sensual. And watching those two go back and forth felt like an edging session because I was almost there every time and I was feeling the emotion and I wanted to bust that nut. But every time it didn't happen, I was even more relieved because it was glorious. Like watching those two go back and forth for that, for that what, almost 15 minute scene was the prime definition of brilliant acting. 
they are so good off of each other. And Portman really pulls her own weight and I believe really steers this scene and really steers, really almost outdoes Owen in the best of ways. And then she carries that with her for the rest of the rest of the film. So literally watching closer was like edging and I loved every second of it. Um, outside of her shakiness in the beginning, I think she's pitch perfect here. I have not one complaint. Um, I definitely could have seen her win this. I'm, I almost think honestly, Blanchett was an upset win. Um, so yeah, I've got no complaints and I think it's great. I agree. Um, nobody filmed plays quite in the way Mike Nichols did. Um, one of the sort of go-to criticisms of movies based on plays that really gets on my nerves is when people say it looks like a play, it feels like a play. If it works, it works. And Mike Nichols really made it work. Um, this is one of the best examples of it because he is so in touch with his actors. He's all, he was also truly one of the best actors, directors in Hollywood. And all four of these performers, I think, are on the top level of what they're able to do here. Um, all of their talents are, are on display, um, including Natalie Portman. Um, that rockiness that you feel in the beginning, um, I feel it too. But it kind of hit me at one point. Um, Natalie Portman's character in this feels like a person who thinks she is wise beyond her years. Um, and in many ways, she is a smart person. She's not a dumb character, but she carries herself like she is the, the oracle of everything. Um, it feels like a precocious kid character in many ways, but in a very adult form. Um, like when she's talking with uh, Julia Roberts in the studio, or when she's talking with uh, Jude Law about his book or whatever, it feels like she she's trying to be on par with these people as opposed to just being on par with them intellectually. Like she's like she's a child at the grown-ups table who wants to convince you that she belongs there. And I really get that. Um, I think it's a very wonderful performance. Uh, I think there's a lot more going on here than some people might be willing to give it credit for. Um, she's showing you some really wonderful things here as um, Alice, if that is her real name, in Closer. Um, <laughs> It's a very tricky character, and um, it's one of those where if you really zero in on her, it um, you see a little bit more uh, every time you watch it. So it's a very uh, complex role um, that I think more people should pay attention to. Uh, she and Mike Nichols, I think, are really, really vibing here with this character in this film. Yeah, I would agree. It almost feels too like her, her character is almost like a flower that starts blossoming from like little girl in the beginning to full-fledged woman at the end so it's nice to see that transition of the character i also would like to point out i honestly think this is julie roberts's best performance i don't think that she has ever been better than what she did in closer and i would have loved i think she earned a, she deserved a nomination too um in supporting like it would have been interesting to see this year be a double sideways double closer one rando nomination but i think roberts did great here as well 
I also really like Julia Roberts in this. Um, I don't know if I would call it her best or my favorite, but I think this is a performance of Roberts that gets forgotten quite a yeah. bit um, or sort of lost in the shuffle of all the films that she's done. Uh, perhaps that's because she's not the star. She's part of like a four person ensemble in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think she's fantastic here. Her and she and Clive Owen's uh, breakup scene is oh, yeah. just remarkable. Um, I can't does come taste sweeter than you. Yeah, that's that's a brilliant line. Um, that is like I've, a shot in the nuts. I've seen this movie a few times, and I feel like every time she says that, it like hits me when she says it. like she's talking to me. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, she really weaponizes her words in this film, and I I would have been very okay with the nomination. I agree. I would probably put it in supporting, considering there's no like one person in this film who really feels like they're leading more than the other. They all kind of equally take the reins of this film when it's their turn. So yeah, I'd be okay with a a double closer nomination situation. I am literally trying to put myself in in that Clive Owen character position to where if someone had said that to me, like I would have lost my shit because that just. That is, without, if you really think about her line there, that is such a huge blow to the person. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, I mean, I'm just, oh, she's so good. She's so good in this. All right, all right. Your lead ladies of 2004 were... Annette Benning in Being Julia. <laughs> Catalina Sandino Moreno in Maria Full of Grace. Imelda Staunton in Vera Drake. Hilary Swank in Million Dollar Baby. Kate Winslet in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. All right, starting off this year with Kate Winslet. I almost said Kate Blanchett. Uh, Kate Winslet as Clementine Krasinski in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. This is her fourth of seven nominations. Um, we've previously talked about her with Titanic, Sons and Sensibility, Iris, and that's it up to this point. Um, going into Oscar night, she had only nominations in uh, from the Golden Globes, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, National New York Film Critics, and the SAG Awards. At the Globes, she was nominated for Comedy Musical. And in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, again, Winslet plays Clementine, who is the girlfriend character to Jim Carrey's character, who really kind of sets this whole story off as she has to be deleted from his memory. And you kind of see, okay, so this film, to describe it if anyone hasn't seen it, is you don't know what the hell this film means or is doing until literally like the last 10 minutes of this film. So this whole film is a puzzle that you have to piece together and it is brilliant. So I'll leave it at that and then we'll get more into it. Brandon, what do you think about Kate Winslet in Eternal Sunshine? Well, first of all, if you're one of those people who has not seen Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, what are you doing with your life? Yes. (laughs) Um, Pause this podcast Go watch it and return. Okay, you're back. back. There we are. Okay, so Kate Winslet, I really like in this film. I also just really love this film. Um, This is a film sort of unlike anything else. And I think Kate Winslet really fits um, Michelle Gondry's vision of it. 
um, she's very all over the place and she's a thousand things at once, which is kind of how this movie feels a lot of the time. Um, it's a very heartbreaking film, um, very tragic. And uh, it's a difficult movie to watch if uh, you know, you've been through loss and heartbreak, which is I think pretty much everyone at a certain point in their life. Um, I know Kate Winslet gets some flack here uh, for sort of the, uh, the manic pixie dream girl of it all. And I think that criticism is legitimate. I definitely see where people are coming from. Um, but at the same time, it, it fits the movie. Um, maybe in the grander context of filmmaking and storytelling uh, from a male perspective, um, that's totally valid to, uh, to knock the film and the character for that. But it nevertheless does fit this mold. Uh, she is sort of this elusive um, object of affection on the part of the Jim Carrey character. And you can definitely see how someone like him would be so enveloped by someone like her and um, fall madly in love with how enigmatic and eccentric she is and how gorgeous she is in her you know, own unique way. And there's also a lot of different facets to this character. Because we, we, if you really think about it, we see her from different points of view. The actual Clementine Clementine, we only really see a small fraction of. Most of what we're seeing is Jim Carrey's memories of her, his perspective of who she is and how she fits into his life and memories. So that manic pixie dream girl-ness of it all, I think, fits because we are literally getting it from this male perspective. We are seeing who she was to him, how she reflects his love. Um, so Kate Winslet is able to sort of tackle this from all different sides and balance a lot of different perspectives in a way where it, only, it feels like one person. When you're watching Clementine in any given scene, it feels like any other scene with Clementine but it's really not when you really break it down. And um, it's a very sneaky thing that she and Michelle Gondry are doing, but um, I think it's very interesting and uh, very uh, clever of them. It's also a character that's hard to not um, have your heart broken while you're watching, like as they are trapped in his memories and the set is literally going black and dissolving around them and they're basically running for their lives because they're about to be erased um, due to the decision that the Jim Carrey character made. And you want them to be able to run away and they're trying to find these little blind spots and little nooks and crannies in his mind where they can sort of compartmentalize her so they won't be found by the technology that's trying to undo her. And it's um, it really pulls at you. And I think Kate... Uh, Winslet really pulls off something really extraordinary here in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Would you classify this film a sci-fi movie? Yeah. Yes. Which I think is great because sci-fi isn't one to get many nominations in acting. You know, Sigourney Weaver was the first for Alien, so I think this one is definitely never given the props it's due for being a sci-fi movie. 
Um, and Winslet isn't ever given the credit for also being an actress who pulled a genre nomination out. So I think that's great. Um, first of all, this movie deserved a nomination in director, picture, Jim fucking Carrey. It won Best Writing, thankfully, and it earned its Best Actress nomination. Um, I think this is my favorite work from Kaufman as a writer. I think this is his best movie, in my honest opinion. Um, I also really, really love Winslet here. This is my favorite Kate Winslet nomination. Um, there is something so refreshing from the work or from the nominee nomination she's given us so far up to this point. You know, there is the period piece and there's the heavy drama with Iris and then there's the love drama with Titanic. So for her to do this sci-fi comedy really shows like that she can do all genres. Um, I think she's picture perfect as Clementine. You know, she, we have to remember Kate Winslet is like 24 or 25 when she did this movie. So she is literally younger than we are now. And there is something so refreshing about watching this movie because she is acting beyond her years here. Like there's so much, um, there's so much growth and there's so much knowledge in this character for her being 25 that honestly, you could probably play this for someone and they're going to think she's in her thirties in this movie. There's just something so mature about her here. Um, you know, my, what sticks out to me, the, to me the most is when Jim Carrey is a baby and she's like in the 60s or 70s, or I'm going to say the 70s, the 70s outfit. And she's hiding on the table with them. Like she's finally, this is the first time you get to meet this character where she's kind of understanding what's going on. But it's memory Clementine that is, is understanding what's going on. So it's not Clementine Clementine. And I, again, if you haven't seen this movie, this conversation is very confusing to you. If you've seen this movie, you know what the fuck we're talking about when we say Clementine Clementine. Um, she's wonderful. She's wonderful. And I have no complaints. And I think she's amazing here. And I understand too, why she is also a fan favorite in this category. Um, it makes sense. This is one where I think, cause I'm not usually one for the popular vote. Um, I see other things outside of popular vote, but I, I would, I would be on the popular vote side for this one. I get it. Yeah. I definitely see why she is the, uh, the fan favorite of today. It's a, it's a wonderful film, and she fits it beautifully. Um, it's kind of funny, going back and revisiting this movie, um, if you would have asked me what the best picture lineup of this year was, I would have included Eternal Sunshine, because for some reason, I have like conditioned myself to think that it was nominated. And then realizing that it wasn't, I was shocked and enraged, low-key, because um, I think it absolutely should have been nominated for best picture. And Michelle Gondry should have also been recognized in director because, yeah, this is a beautifully written film, but it is directed extraordinarily well. Um, it's incredible. And Jim Carrey absolutely deserved a nomination. I would love to have seen him and Winslet both recognized as leads for this because they are truly uh, something else here. But yeah, I really dig Kate Winslet. It might be my favorite performance of hers. Um, I would definitely see why she is the the popular vote among today's film enthusiasts in this lineup. Yeah, and 04 Best Picture gave us The Aviator, Finding Neverland, Million Dollar Baby, Ray, and Sideways. I honestly would have taken out The Aviator for this because I don't like The Aviator, but um, I would probably say the popular vote on that one would be taking out Finding Neverland. Yeah, that's probably the Sunshine. one. 
Yeah, Finding Neverland is probably the one that I would remove. It's the one I remember the least. Um, so naturally, I think that's probably the one I would take out. Yeah. I know that 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 nomination still gets a lot of flack to this day, so. All right, let's get to this year's winner. And the last time, as of now, we're going to talk about Hilary Swank as Maggie Fitzgerald in Million Dollar Baby. This is her second of two wins. Um, going into Oscar night, she had all wins from the Golden Globe from Best Actress in a Drama, the Critics' Choice, the National Society of Film Critics, and SAG. Now, noted, she tied with Imelda Staunton for the National Society of Film Critics, so keep that in mind when we get down to Staunton. Um, but in Million Dollar Baby, again, Swank plays Maggie Fitzgerald, a quote-unquote lady boxer, that is Clint Eastwood's line, not my description, um, in the film. She is a an athlete who just happens to be a female who wants to become a boxer and is literally told uh, that she won't be trained because she is a woman. It's a very sexist position that she finds herself in. But like any woman in film that even happened today has to prove when she shouldn't have to that she can do something, that she can do this. And unfortunately, in the end, suffers a fate that is not so bueno. So, uh, Brandon, what do you think about Hilary Swank in Million Dollar Baby? So I generally like her in this movie. Um, it's another character it's very easy to root for. Um, you know, she's sort of a sort of an her against the world sort of thing. Uh, Similar-ish, I know this is a bit of a stretch, similar-ish to Jodie Foster in The Silence of the Lambs being in a very male-dominated world. She's in a very male-dominated world in her own way here. Yeah, uh, female boxing competitions are very much a thing, but as we see here, um, no one really wants to take her seriously, uh, partially be or largely because she's a woman and also due to her age. She's only like 30 or 31, I think she says here in the film, her character is, and yet somehow that is way too old to begin a boxing career. And, um, you know, I guess in a weird way, I can see where um, the Clint Eastwood character is coming from. Similar to, I guess you could say, dance. You'd want to start young and, you know, perfect your craft over time. Um, but this is a character who I think really struggles um, upstream to become the fighter that she knows she can be. Uh, so it's very easy to get behind her. She's a very earnest character. And I think that um, it feels very warm and it's easy to uh, try to relate to her. And uh, yeah, I think it, she also fits the movie pretty well. It's a bit, of, it's an underdog story. And uh, naturally um, the movie wants you to be on her side. And I think it's a very easy thing to do. So when her um, tragic incident happens about what, three quarters of the way through the movie, um, it's hard to not feel something for her unless you're so checked out by the movie itself at that point. But um, even when she's, uh, I'm just going to say what happens because it's 15-ish years ago, when she's paralyzed in the last act of the movie and she basically only has function of her neck up, I think she she puts a lot of skills on display here when she just has basically her head to work with and her voice and once again, it's she pulls you in um, in those moments, and it's hard to not um, root for her, especially when she's telling Margot Martindale, who plays her mom, to basically 
fuck off with her bat hillbilly ass or whatever the line is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I think Hillary Swank is doing a pretty decent job, and I understand why um, she would get this win. All right, buckle up. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. I had seen Million Dollar Baby when it came out on DVD way back when, like when it first came out. So it had been a minute since I'd seen this, and I revisited this, and I watched this movie, and I'm like, is she in the right category? Honestly, I felt like this wasn't Maggie's story, and it's not told from Maggie's perspective. And then the screen time didn't add up for me. I'm like, she's really not in this a lot. Now, I debated if she was truly a lead here, and I'm still debating it. However, our good friend Matthew Stewart, who does an amazing... Um, site that adds up all the screen time and percentages of all the actresses, she is at exactly one hour of screen time, which puts her at exactly 50% in this movie. So even by my rules, she would be a lead here. So I don't know if you ever felt that she was in the wrong category, and I'm interested to honestly hear your answer, but even knowing that she's in this for exactly 50% of the movie still feels like she is supporting this movie. I never questioned her category placement. Um, the She's not the one telling the story, but it is her story. Yeah. So um, it's kind of funny. It's sort of Morgan Freeman's telling the story of Clint Eastwood, who is sort of framing her story. It's sort of like this Inception perspective sort of thing. Right. So, right. Um, yeah, I'd say it is... It is her story. Um, it's just told from someone else's point of view. Yeah. Now, with that said, I accept I accept the fact that she's in this category, so I'm not pulling a category fraud here. Um, to get to the actual performance, I think it's good. I, I, I can see why she won this. Um, but I'm not satisfied with it, if that makes any sense. Like, it, I think Swank does the best she can here. I think she does a really damn good job here. But I think it's just because of her competition this year. And this is not spoiling my rankings or anything, but I think that I'm just not as satisfied with what is happening with this character. And it's not her fault. It's just the character itself, how it's written, where it's just like, okay, she won, but, you know, whatever. There, You know, there's other people in this category. So... I don't, I think I'm going to keep this one as short as can be because I just, I don't love it and I, but I don't hate it, but I'm, and I don't know if I'm like very neutral with it. I think it's just, it's cool. It's good. And I think I just got to leave it at that. I think this is a performance that was very um, appetizing to the older male guard of the Academy. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a, it's a boxing film directed by Clint Eastwood, and she plays a, for lack of a better term, masculine woman in in a man's world. So I can see why a certain wing of the Academy would cast their votes for this person. Uh, I'm not knocking Hillary Swank for it, but I can see some people's motivations for choosing this lead actress as their winner. Yeah. And you know what? You want a really, really good female boxing movie. I know she got an Independent Spirit Award and a National Board of Review win for it. Um, but uh, Michelle Rodriguez in 2000 did Girl Fight, 
that was an Oscar worthy performance that I forgot to bring up in 2000. Um, so that's a really, really good one that knocks you on your ass. But yeah, this is, um, this is fine. Yeah. That's about how I feel. I, I, I see it. I understand it. I dig it, but I don't love it. Yeah. Well, with that said, we got a question from stupid love. What do you guys think it was, which you kind of already answered, about Hillary Swing's performance in Million Dollar Baby that made her win her second Best Actress Award in only five years? Also, do you guys prefer this win over Boys Don't Cry? And do you guys think winning two Oscars early affected her career? Since you've already answered the first part there, do you just want to go into the second or do you want to go in further on the first part? Um, I mean, I already said, I think uh, the older male um, wing of the Academy probably is where a lot of her votes came from. I think this was a very um, easy film for them to digest. And I'm sure pretty much all of them saw it. Um, I definitely prefer uh, Boys Don't Cry, her performance in that. Um, I mean, we addressed the sort of present day controversies of that casting and performance in our 1999 episode. So I'm not going to rehash that. You can go listen to that episode if you haven't. Um, what was the third part? Uh, do you think winning two Oscars early oh. affected her career within five years? I can see how um, winning two Oscars really early could affect her. I mean, it puts a lot of pressure on her. I mean, when you win two Oscars when you're still relatively young, I think it puts... Um, high hopes on every single project that you do. It seems like um, you're destined to be like the next Meryl Streep. And so I could see how that it would affect her career and the choices that she made and the way people perceived her every single performance. Because now post 2004, people are watching two-time Academy Award winner Hilary Swank. And if her performance or the film that she's in is not very good, I could see how it'd be very easy to just brush her aside so i would imagine she she felt a lot of pressure in those mid to late 2000 years definitely so i'm i'm gonna agree with you on why she won her second best actress award um you know i think it's the older voters i also prefer the boys don't cry win um i think it's very historic in putting a light to the story of brandon tina um and it's funny that you mentioned Meryl Streep because I remember getting this question a couple of days ago from Stupid Love and I was like, I don't think that it affected in a negative, like it, I don't think it affected it in this way because you look at someone like Meryl Streep or even Spencer Tracy or Tom Hanks who won Oscars so close to each other or consecutively. I'm not going to count Katherine Hepburn in this because she was already so established and whatnot in the 60s when she won back to back. But I do think it didn't affect their careers and it didn't affect Swank's career. I think what affected Swank's career were, is, as you said, at the movies she chose to do. Because if you think about it, like The Raping, Freedom Writers, Amelia, like these weren't commercial hits. And I think that's what affected her career. You know, she had a possible awards run twice in the, in the 2000s with Conviction, which she got a SAG nomination for. And then The Horseman, which was that independent film that Tommy Lee Jones did with him and Meryl Streep. Um, she had Oscar buzz for those, but it didn't come to fruition. I just think that Swank just chose really shitty follow-up films, and that's what affected it. It was her own choices. Not so much what Hollywood gave to her, because if you think about what the mid-2000s had brought, like she could have had a great amount of roles to do. 
Um, I don't know if that's weird to say, but I, I don't think it's so much the Oscar curse. I think it's just her choices. I'm not so quick to say choices. Um, I would imagine, like a lot of actresses, even the ones who've won Oscars, she's very much at the whim of an industry, um, and she only well, has. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if she. I don't know what roles she was offered or what ones she was up for, what ones people were willing to cast her in. So um, did she do some mediocre films as her follow-ups to Million Dollar Baby? Yeah, definitely. But I'm not sure how much is the, how much of that is her fault. Um, the Holmesman is one that I really like her in. I thought she gave a really wonderful performance in that film, and I could have seen her get getting nominated for it. But yeah, most of the movies she's done between Million Dollar Baby and Today have been pretty lackluster, and that's uh, too bad, because I think she has a lot of talent. And if, if there were movies being produced that um, called for uh, someone like her, I think she would have had a career very similar, perhaps, yeah. to, to a Meryl Streep. It's just unfortunate that she's a woman in this sexist industry. Right. And we also have to mention when we talk about that, too, is that Meryl Streep had the 80s, which had some of the best written women characters, especially for that time, that Meryl was able to do. And the 2000s didn't offer that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Meryl, like, was the 80s. Yeah. So it's it's uh, it's almost difficult or unfair to even compare the two. But it's sort of the, the quickest example that you can think of. Right. Right. So, yeah, no tea, no shade. I wasn't meaning in a shady way, but I think that's, for me, that's kind of where I see where Swank's career went. Oh, yeah, I understood where you were going with it. I was just clarifying for the masses. Yeah, yeah. Well, moving on, we have Catalina Sandina Moreno making her sole uh, visit here at the Oscars so far as Maria Alvarez Maria Full of Grace. Going into Oscar night, she had wins, uh, or a win from the Independent Spirit Awards, and then nominations from Critics' Choice and SAG. And in Maria Fuller Grace, again, Catalina plays the titular role. She is a young Colombian girl who is sick and tired of the essentially, um, uh, what, what's it called? Uh, like they always say it like kids in China make your shoe, oh, sweatshop. The sweatshop work of uh, flower picking and decides that she, she has no other choice really to make some money than becoming a, a heroin mule. And she has to swallow uh, balloons full of heroin and smuggle them into the United States. But surprise, she's pregnant. Um, so there's that. Uh, Brandon, what do you think about Catalina and Maria Full of Grace? I think this is a riveting performance. Um, again, in a way that doesn't always draw attention to itself. Um, it's sort of just the nature of the role and what is really going on in it. And she sort of... Um, she. F- she goes along with it in a very natural way, but in a way that um, it's also difficult to not um, fear for her. Um, she's in a very troubling situation, doing a very dangerous thing. I mean, she could very easily die very horribly if one of these balloons were to be punctured somehow. Um, and she has to go through security and in the airport, especially when she gets into America. And uh, I don't know about you, but I was really like on edge in that entire like um, airport security sequence when she gets to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, I had actually never seen this movie prior to watching it for this. So it's always been one of those movies that had been like on my radar, but I had never gotten around to until this. Mm-hmm. And that whole sequence where like the one woman is found out and she's like 
dragged away crying uh, is horrible. And um, the scene where the other girl, I think it's in the hotel room or wherever they're being held, when her one of her balloons gets punctured and she starts, you know, slowly dying because this heroin is seeping into her system. Uh, it's mm. it's terrifying and it's it's a uh, really horrible that there are in fact these women who do this uh, to make money because this is their best option and it's uh, it's really horrible. Uh, but she gives a very very low key but still powerful performance. Um, it's not the whole you know screaming to the back of the room type of thing, but you're constantly drawn to her. She has this very magnetic essence about her. And once again, this seems to be a theme with this year. It's hard to not root for this character, even when you know she's doing something. It's basically illegal and she's doing something on the part of these horrible people. But at the same time, look at where she comes from and what her options are. I mean, this is her best shot at a decent life. And so even though she is doing this uh, pretty questionable act, it's hard to not really hope for the best for her. Um, yeah, it's a powerful performance and I would like to see what else she's done because uh, she was so young when she did this and it's it's quite quite stirring in a way. Yeah, I agree. I think this is riveting. This is, um, and I think you put it best, this is not a performance that plays for the back of the room. It's not loud. It's not in your face. But there are moments where she has to get loud, but it's not overdone. Um, mm -hmm. We have to remember, too, that this is uh, Sandemir Moreno's first role. Like, this is her debut performance. And I think she is so good here. She, I mean, she comes off like she's been acting for her, her whole life at that point. Um, and you get so many sides to this character of Maria. You know, you get her home life, you get her sick and tired of of her sister, and really, in a way, holding her sister's weight, including her, ba her sister's baby's weight, and then her just being like, you know, fuck this, and then kind of being the voice of reason in New York, and she's terrified when you're on the plane and you're, you're scared with her, and then she unfortunately in a way uses the death of that other her, her, her i don't even call her friend but her her colleague's death to get a hold of her sister and she she knows she's using her death and she's trying to do the right thing and i mean you're rooting for this character and you're hoping the best for her and i think that's a really real testament to what sandina moreno is doing here because this character could have been easily not liked by the audience and you could have easily almost looked at her as a villain, but she humanizes her. And she does it in the best of ways. And I think that's a great testament to a debut performance. I mean, kudos to Catalina for that. Um, you know, I have seen a few other things that Catalina has been in. Um, I guess her most notable performance, she had a supporting role opposite um, Jessica Chastain and Oscar Isaac in A Most Violent Year. But I think this is another example where she can't get anything from the industry because the industry doesn't offer anything for her. And it's sad because she's so damn talented. Yeah, a lot of a lot of roles are not designed with people like her in mind. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I hate to say this, but I honestly feel unless something changes, this might really be her sole visit to the Oscars. It might, which would be unfortunate. Variants. There's a lot of unfortunate sole nominations here this year. Mm-hmm. So, all right, moving on. Speaking of sole nominations, we have Imelda Staunton as Vera Drake in Vera Drake. Um, she was kind of a critic's darling and was honestly probably the runner-up to this Oscar um, because she had nominations from SAG and Golden Globe and Critics' Choice, but wins from BAFTA, the LA Film Critics, National Society of Film Critics, again, she tied with Swink there, and then the New York Film Critics Association. And in Vera Drake, again, Imelda plays the titular role about a woman in the UK who, this is pre-abortion um, rights, um, has to do these underground abortions for women to, for, to help them to, well, again, abort. Um, she pretty much is Saint Vera to these women, and she is the mother who is taking care of these women, and it's this underground business she's running, but then she's caught and is sentenced to prison, and it's an emotional trip. So why don't you start us off here? She is such a goddamn hero in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I had seen this a long time ago, and I didn't really remember much of anything about it, except that Professor Umbridge is the good guy in this one. Mm-hmm. And I think she's just phenomenal. Wading through this era of the UK that was pretty oppressive to women. Um, and I mean, it still is, but it was it was a, a different time. And she's um, helping women. Um, I don't even know how to put it. She's helping women save their own lives from a decision that was not always their own and an outcome that is not always desired. And um, I think she's great. And it's another heroic performance that it's so easy to root for her. Um, Of course, if you're on the other side of the political spectrum, you don't, and that's fine. But for a large portion of um, moviegoers, this is um, a heroic person. And Imelda Staunton plays her so warmly. Um, Her, when she's caught, I guess you could say, um, later on, it's it's heartbreaking because in a way she wasn't really doing anything wrong yeah it was technic it was illegal to provide these services back then perhaps it still is in the way that she was doing it um in some places but um there's no mal malice or ill will behind anything she was doing she ultimately made these women's lives for the better in the long run. And I think Staunton is remarkable here. Um, When she is ultimately convicted of the crimes that she was committing um, for the greater good, it's, it's hard not to feel troubled or outraged at what is happening. Um, yeah, I think she's wonderful. I I second everything you said. I honestly don't know if I can add anything to that. And I and I want to leave it. I want to leave it as is because you put it so beautifully. 
I would like to add though, there is an emotional toll as a as a, a moviegoer when you're watching this, whether whatever side you're on the spectrum. When she when the police come to her door in her confession scene, where she this character, and again, I don't care what side you're on, this character believes that she was doing the best thing possible for these women. Your heart tears into two. And I don't know if there is another performance this year in this lead category where there honestly isn't, where your heart splits like that. And it is delicious. And it is legit heartbreaking. And it is a testament to the fine acting that Staunton puts here. I am so excited for the next round of The Crown with her because she is playing the Queen Elizabeth role. And I think Staunton... Staunton should have been back to the Oscars for Umbridge. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, and I, 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 she, she deserves so much more. And she is goddamn good here. And I love it. I love it so much. Um... Yeah, she's great. You said it perfectly, and I don't. I don't think I can add anything extra than what I just did. Yeah, I don't know how beautiful or perfectly I put it. I felt like I was really struggling to put no, it into you words. Did, you did really good. Well, it's it's a it's a difficult movie to talk about. It's a very tricky subject matter. Um, so I'm trying. I was trying to be sensitive while also addressing the very serious um, implications of what she was doing and how it really it was illegal. There's no technically about it. But she's committing these crimes for what she, like what you said, for what she perceives is the greater good. She sees nothing wrong with what she's doing. And in a lot of people's opinion, there was nothing wrong with what she was doing. Now, the scene, I believe it's Sally Hawkins, who uh, is the person she uh, performs the abortion on, who almost dies. I want to say it was Sally Hawkins. But, well, the way she performs it, it's not really... She's like in there with tools in the way you would picture it like a clinic. It's like a a concoction of sorts that sort of um, causes a miscarriage over the course of a day or two. And the Sally Hawkins character's body does not take very well to the miscarriage. And she almost died. Does she die? I think she almost dies. Mm -hmm. I think she's hospitalized. And when Vera is told this she's told she basically almost killed this person because of what she did in staunton's reaction to it is striking um because everything that she has done up to this point has been so run-of-the-mill she is she is so in the groove she has a rhythm for how these go her explanation to these women is almost um automatic at this point to the word and this one time something fell out of place and this person nearly died a very horrible death and it was basically her fault and staunton is so gut-wrenching in that in that moment um she puts so much on display here and it's it's crazy that she's one of those actors who has not been to the Oscars prior to this and has not returned since because she has given some remarkable performances. I'd say of the women of her generation in Britain, 
she's a recognizable face and name. She might not be like Judy Dench or Maggie Smith level, but she's of that like tier with Julie Walters where people know her. They see her and they can pinpoint who she is, maybe even say her name. So she's a fantastic person. And this is a really great um, performance of hers. Yeah, I want to add to, because we do have listeners in the UK. I know the, the story of Vera Drake, it's been done a few times or whatnot. Is this story pretty much like the warning for you guys? Like, is this the boogeyman story almost of what happens? And we don't get political. We, we, we do stay out of politics in general with between you and I for Academy Queens. But I will say, like, I think this story does show why we need to protect women's rights all around the world and their right to choose um, because this is what happens with back alley abortions. Um, and I, you know, I, I'm, so I'm just going to dip in a uh, dip our toe into the political spectrum here for a moment. Um, I think when people say we need to outlaw, they need to be shown this um, because unfortunately too many times women have suffered the fate of death from, from back alley coat hanger abortions. And this is a great movie to use as a tool for learning. Yeah, it really makes you think um, how safer um, mm -hmm. societies would be if insurance providers and uh, health coverage plans provided uh, safe, accessible abortions uh, right. performed by medical professionals, which Vera Drake was not. Right. Um, so even though oh, she yeah. was doing the, the good, there's still a risk in this, is, you know. Use this movie as a tool, people, is what we're saying. Mm -hmm. So we have Ms. Annette Benning as Julia Lambert in Being Julia. This is her third of four nominations. She wins the Golden Globe in the National Board of Review, but is nominated at the Critics' Choice, National or New York Film Critics Association, and SAG. Um, in Being Julia, Annette plays stage actress Julia Lambert, who is an over-the-top, campy woman who will keep her spotlight no matter what. What do you think of her as what do you think of Annette as Julia in Being Julia? <laughs> You know, I think she's really fun in this performance. Um, Annette Benning seems to be really enjoying herself playing this role. Um, I really like when Annette Benning is just able to take a character and get lost in them. Um, like we, like sort of with the Grifters. Um, I know we had our criticisms of the how the performance fit into the film, but if you just isolate that performance, I really like what Annette Benning is doing, the little characterizations that she's able to pull off. And I know she wasn't nominated for it, but just recently in Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool, that's another example of Annette Benning going in a very similar, going into a very similar territory of becoming these other people. And um, whether or not the it works for the movie um, or whether or not um, you like it, it's always fun, I think, to watch Annette Benning really go to these places. Um, Being Julia, I think, is just an all right movie. Um, it's, uh, it's perfectly fine for, you know, like a Sunday afternoon or whatever, but, um, it's nothing remarkable. Uh, Annette Benning, I think, gives a very lively performance. Uh, it's not my favorite of hers by any means, but, um, I think it's perfectly fine for her. She seems to be having a ball. And at the very least, um, I just want the best for Annette Benning. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I think this is such a fun performance. It is camp, camp, camp. 
I mean, honestly, if she had shown up a couple years ago to the Met Gala for camp, I wish she would have gone as Julia Lambert because this character is camp. Um, she's also a bully. I feel really bad for Lucy Punch's character because she just wants success and to act. And Benning is really mean to her. Um, and what she does to her on stage to keep her spotlight is really horrible. And I think Punch does a great job of of that feeling of being knocked down. I mean, I true. I don't know about you, but I truly felt bad for the Lucy Punch character here. Um, but I think she's fun. I think she's over the top. I think she's exactly what this character needs. Even if I'm not 100% sold on this accent work she's doing the entire time, because it seems very all over the place, or maybe it is perfect because she has to be so over the top. But again, she is from the United States, so it kind of makes sense for her character to maybe put on this fake British accent. I don't know, but I'm sold on it. I like it. Um, I I think it's fun, and I think it's exactly what it needed to do. The movie is not great, but I think Benning sells the movie with her performance. Yeah, I think the accent works for her as well. Yeah, it's not, you know, the best accent, but I think it fits this character and this sort yeah. of larger-than-life personality, a very fake personality that she's yeah. going for here. And, yeah, she's not the best person. Um, as funny as this movie can be, she does some pretty not-so-good things, and she can be pretty cruel at times. But um, I think, overall, it's a very fun outing for her. Um, I would love a dual sequel of sorts where we get um, Annette Benning as this character and uh, Diane Weiss character from Bullets Over Broadway just (laughs) rivaling each other for roles. Yes. Could you imagine them in like a callbacks audition where they're both there reading lines at each other? Don't speak. Don't (laughs) speak. Yes. I want it so badly. (laughs) Please. Please, movie gods, give us Annette Benning versus Diane Weist. Hire us. <laughs> yes, we are for hire. Hello. Um, we have a couple of we, uh, two questions that I one I can go over now because we went through it, but they're both kind of dealing with supporting. Um, one is from Greg Adams. Had Kate Blanchett won for Elizabeth, would she still have prevailed here? Would Madsen overtake her or someone else? Well, I suppose it stands to reason that she still could have prevailed here, considering Hillary Swank's very brief window. Um, I think uh, perhaps there's some people who would think, uh, well, there's no immediate urgency to give her a second one so quickly. But Hillary Swank this very year is um, proof that that's not always a factor. So um, perhaps someone else would have proved the victor. I mean, Madsen had the critics on her side. Um, Portman had the Globe. So it's conceivable that either one of those two probably would have been the ones that mm-hmm. proved that were victorious, if not Kate Blanchett. But um, just considering the short window between Elizabeth and the Aviator, I don't think that's an automatic no. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree. I don't think there's. I think um, 04 supporting actress really became a race between three people, even with Kinney's um, or Kinney. Laura Linney's um, National Board of Review win. I don't think she was ever really a force to be reckoned with here. So I think it could have gone to either Portman, Madsen, or Blanchett. Um, but really, when you're nominated, it is anyone's game. You still have a one in five chance of winning. Um, so you never know. Um, also, too, from we have from Lulu Del Rey. 2004, 
picture it. Did anyone from Mean Girls deserve a nom? Particularly, did Tina Fey or Rachel McAdams deserve supporting noms? I think that, if anything, Mean Girls should have been nominated in screenplay. Yes, um, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I would be perfectly okay with any one of the actors getting nominated. I mean, maybe I'm biased, but I feel like Lizzie Kaplan is my supporting actress that's nominee. That's what I was going to say, too. But um, if anything, I think the real robbery, the real crime of it all, is Tina Fey being rejected in screenplay, considering, from today's perspective, how much of a pop culture phenomenon that movie still is and how quotable it still is. Mm-hmm. So, so yes, Tina Fey should have been nominated, but in screenplay. So I don't get when people say Rachel McAdams. It's like I don't get when people say Alicia Silverstone should have been nominated for Clueless. I'm like, what the fuck movie are you watching? Um, I like Rachel McAdams in this, but it is not Oscar-worthy work. I do agree, Tina Fey for supporting, and if you're going to nominate someone for supporting, it should have been Lizzie Kaplan as Janice Ian. Agree, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually missed a question about Annette Benning. This is from Jackson DiStefano. Um, some people claim that the two times Annette Benning came close to winning an Oscar were the two times Swank won. Do you think these claims are valid, or was she not that close in one of those years, or did she come closer in other years? I think she was probably the runner-up for American Beauty, considering American Beauty took the other four of the big five wins. I mm-hmm. think it's very possible she was the runner-up there. Um, I have a hard time believing that she was the runner-up for being Julia, so I don't think um, this is an instance of her being second to Hilary Swank. I have a feeling she was probably maybe fourth or fifth in this voting pool realistically yeah um so no i think i think she was second to swank the first time but not the second yeah i agree the first time yeah second no i honestly would probably imagine she was also fourth or fifth so so uh time for the rankings then So as a reminder, your Best Supporting Actress nominees in 2004 were Kate Blanchett for The Aviator, Laura Lenny for Kinsey, Virginia Madsen for Sideways, Sophie Okonedo for Hotel Rwanda, and Natalie Portman for Closer. And I'm actually going to give the fifth place spot to Sophie Okonedo for Hotel Rwanda. I received so much more from her performance on this most recent go-around, and I respect her nomination so much more than I did before. But um, the other nominees are putting a little bit more on display for my taste. Um, So unfortunately, Sophie only makes uh, number five for me in this lineup. Number five for me is actually going to go to Kate Blanchett. The movie I really, really dislike, like I really dislike this movie. And so that doesn't help her. But I, like I said, She's doing an okay impression, but I feel like if you're going to do Catherine Pepper, you need to go all in or not at all. And I feel like she's missing that warmth of Kate. And like I said, when you watch a Kate Hepburn interview, you feel like you're in the room with her. And I did not feel like if like Blanchett was in the room with me watching this. So I'm sorry, Academy, but you got it wrong that year. <laughs> I've been going back and forth on my three and four, but uh, right now I'm going to put Kate Blanchett at number four for The Aviator. I like what she's doing here. I like how she takes uh, Hepburn and makes her her own, but um, I'm going to give her number four, although she might have my favorite line reading of the entire film 
and that's when they're like in the plane approaching the mountain and she goes like golly i don't know why that just like tickles me every time but yeah she only gets my number four for the aviator well number four as much as i loved her it pains me to say laura linney at number four i think she's really really good but like what we've talked about with 2000 i feel like it she is the victim of her lineup like she's the victim of the year her movie came out and unfortunately i can't put her any higher with who's left my number three is going to go to natalie portman for closer um natalie portman is doing something really complex here that um I think on the surface, it might also read like a vaguely manic pixie dream girl type character in the way that uh, Kate Winslet is in her film. But I think there is really more to this character than initially meets the eye. But um, I guess I'm a little drawn to the other two a little more. So Natalie Portman is number three for Closer. Well, number three for me is actually Virginia Madsen for Sideways. Um, these This final four was very hard for me. Um, but Matson is beautiful, and th- I have not one complaint in- about her role. But again, it's like, where do I put these people in a lineup? And unfortunately, uh, same thing. The-, the final two are doing more for me than Madsen is in the long run. Well, um, this might shock some people, but Madsen is my runner-up. And I'm giving what? the win to Laura Lenny. What? I love Virginia Madsen in Sideways, and I love Sideways. Uh, Virginia Madsen is exactly what I look for in a supporting turn. It's very true, um, doesn't try to upstage anyone at every chance they get, and I want to have a glass of wine with this character. But Laura Lenny is coming at this performance with such tact and such craft, and there is always something going on under the surface with her every single line line reading and gesture and look of her eyes. And she is, it's deceptively playful what she's doing here in Kenzie. And um, she became my favorite thing about this movie upon my most recent rewatch. She dethroned Peter Sarsgaard's penis for me and <laughs> became uh, the number one thing about Kenzie. So um, I'll, I'll let everyone release their pearls that are clutched so th- strongly in their grips right now. Uh, Virginia Madsen is my runner-up, and Laura Linney is my winner for Kinsey. Did not see that coming. I yeah. honestly thought in both categories. Now I'm, I'm curious because I thought I had you nailed for these categories on, on this year. Holy if, shit. If you had asked me before revisiting these movies, Madsen probably would have been my winner. But I got more out of Kinsey on this most recent go-around. Well, I have left Okanado and Portman, and y'all wanted a twist. Okanado's going second. I'm giving it to Portman. Um, I have a feeling people are going to guess Okanado on me because it just seems so very Joey. While she is a really good runner-up, she was actually my winner for a long time until I revisited closer on this um, most recent watch. So like you, we also changed it up, or I also changed it up. Okanito is wonderful. I think she's really good here. I don't I don't think she gets as much credit for this uh, performance as she uh, deserves. And y'all are wrong when you say that she is just a filler performance here because this is not a filler performance. It is a full fleshed out great role. Portman though, oh my God. Oh my God, the Globes got it right. Um, 
like I said, I can't describe this role better than a good edging. I really can't. And I think it's fitting for the type of movie this is. So um, Portman definitely should have won here, in my opinion. Um, I think, for, especially for her age at the time, she's way beyond her years, like um, Winslet in um, Eternal Sunshine. And yeah, I think she deserved it. Okay. Um, going into our lead. Oh, by the way, hello. I, when you, My ranking was the exact same ranking in what we talked about them in, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. When you went Blanchett and Lenny the Mats, I'm like, oh, my God, it does Okanado. I'm like, oh, my God, that's my ranking. So, surprise. Hmm. Um, your lead nominees this year, as a recap, were Catalina Sandino Moreno, Kate Winslet, Annette Benning, Hilary Swank, and Imelda Staunton. Uh, Academy, we are not agreeing this year, because Hilary Swank, you're going number five. I'm giving both winners this year last place. Um, Swank is fine, but it's everyone else is better. In this year so yeah swank's gotta go fifth for me yeah we're gonna agree there uh, hillary swank is also my number five um i think hillary swank is a fantastic performer but um this movie is not quite putting all of her talents on display um as we've seen in other films of hers and um, i can see why she would be the victor on the night in real life but um she would not have gotten my vote so hillary swank is my number five for million dollar baby well let's see if we still line up because i'm going annette bending at four Campy, fun, over the top, not a great movie, but she carries it, but there's no way I can put her higher. So we're lining up so far, because Annette Bening's my number four for being Julia. She seems to be having a blast uh, doing this movie. Um, unfortunately, it's not a movie or a performance that I'm keen on revisiting. I feel like I got pretty much everything that I needed to out of um, one watch. Um, but she, uh, she's having a blast, and I love that for her, uh, but she only gets my number four for being Julia. Yeah, well, we'll see if we continue this streak. Um, I don't know here. This might be one that breaks us. Um, as much as I think this is her best performance, I'm putting Kate Winslet at three. Um, I think what she does as Clementine is brilliant. Again, like I said with Portman, like I said with her earlier, I think she's way beyond her years here. Um, and while she's funny where she needs to be funny, I don't think this is a role where the comedy could outdo for me normally. Um, with... Staunton and Sandina Moreno, who I have left, they're they're just amazing. And while Kate is amazing, these last two are amazing. So yeah, Winslet goes at three. Kate Winslet's also my number three for what? Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. She's fantastic in this film, which is also fantastic. Um, she reflects exactly what she needs to in order to sell this character uh, belonging in this very wacky world of Michelle Gondry. Um, but uh, the other two speak to me more. So Kate Winslet is number three for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Here we go. Let's see if it works. This is hard. These final two, either of these could win. And th I could have seen, I would have been happy with either of these winning. And when I say this was a hard decision, this was a really hard decision. But I'm going runner-up as Imelda Staunton, and I'm giving the win to Catalina Sandino Moreno. Staunton deserved a win here. I think she should have won. But I would have voted for Sandino Moreno because this character is so human, and this is one of those roles where you forget you're watching, watching an acting performance. I mean, it could be your sister. It could be your neighbor. It could be your best friend. This is one of those roles where it's just like, holy hell. 
I, I'm I'm in awe. And the fact that this is her debut performance proves it. Like she, Sandy Moreno, is a professional through and through, and should have won this Oscar. So this is where we split. Uh, Catalina Sandino Moreno is my runner-up for Maria Full of Grace. She is um, a beacon in this film. Uh, she's phenomenal. I think more people ought to seek this out. Um, I'm not sure maybe this is the least seen in this lineup by regular audiences. I don't know. I would say um, being Julia. Either that or being Julia. I'm not sure. But um, I think more people should definitely seek it out. At the very least, not enough people have seen it. Um, it's currently streaming on HBO, if you have HBO. Um, I think HBO might have been a producing partner on the film, actually. But yeah. um, I'm glad they were able to bring this film to life, uh, give her this role to really showcase her talents, and bring to people's attention a very serious subject matter. And something that a lot of women for years and to this day are still um, doing in order to make a life for themselves. And it's deeply, deeply troubling and worth watching. But Imelda Staunton and Vera Drake is simply on another level for me. Um, she is the standout of this lineup for me. And I think she rightfully should have been the winner. Um, I already struggled with exactly why earlier. I'm not gonna try to rehash that, but um, yeah, Imelda Staunton is my winner for Vera Drake. Yeah, so I got your lead right. I absolutely knew you were going with Imelda Staunton. I would have been shocked if you actually went with Sandra Moreno. But your uh, not Virginia Madsen pick definitely threw me for a fucking loop. I have a feeling that's going to be the one that throws the listeners off. Oh, yes. Oh, you know everyone from Kevin to Andrew to someone rando in the UK. They're going to be like, oh, Brandon. Yep. Sideways. <laughs> um, did mine shock you at all? Did I throw you for a loop? Um, I think Moreno is someone you had mentioned to me way back when, before we were really talking about doing this uh, as being your winner for this year. And I kind of vaguely had that in my mind that she was possibly your winner. Um, I, but it, for your supporting, it was between Okanedo and Portman for me. For some reason, I didn't see you going for Blanchett's um, biopic performance, and Lenny and Madsen didn't seem like quite your cup of tea, but I had a feeling you'd appreciate them. But I saw Okanedo and Portman being your top two, but I was honestly not sure which one would prevail. Yeah. It's funny, too, because we can talk about it, because this episode would have come, come out two weeks ago for them. Um Everybody is starting to know me way too much. Like, the amount of O2 guesses I've gotten for Diane Lane is insane. Insane. Like, y'all are trying... I'm almost getting scared that we're going to have too many co-hosts for these next couple of years because they are catching on to me. Well, I feel like we're only doing the first one that gets it, right? Yeah, but I'm. you know what I mean. Like, it's yeah. the first one. So, um, yeah, people are catching on. People are mm -hmm. catching on to how my mind works. So that's why I think doing Portman is going to throw them for a loop for our supporting because I have a feeling. And, you know, again, if we had done this a couple of years ago, they would have been right. I, Okanedo would be my winner. But, yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah. Well, until next week, I'm Joey Gentili. And I'm Brandon Stanwick. And again, this has been Academy Queens, your LGBTQ guide through the Academy Awards for decade for category and the country. We'll say goodbye. Ready? One, two, three. Goodbye. Bye.